You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. We are in week two of four of this new series called God Never Said That. And I love the concept of this series because what we're trying to do is debunk all the lies that we hear over and over again and actually find out what God did say by looking at his truth in the Bible. Today we're going to discuss maybe the biggest cultural lie. I hear it a lot in conversations that I have with people. I hear it on TV. Celebrities mention it frequently. Maybe you have heard it or even said it yourself. And here it is. The biggest cultural lie we face today is this. It doesn't matter what you believe about God as long as you are sincere. It doesn't matter what you believe about God as long as you are sincere. Now, the result of this lie is the notion that everybody just goes to heaven when they die. To our ears, that sounds acceptable. It feels good, maybe even right, that a loving, gracious God would want everybody to be with him and that it doesn't really matter what we believe about him as long as we sincerely believe it because it's all going to work out in the end. This is nothing more than what we would call a feel-good theology. Maybe you've been in a deep conversation with a friend about God, and they're saying some things to you that don't really sound quite right. You're pretty sure that that's not what the Bible teaches. However, you see the conviction in their lives through their actions. You hear the conviction in their words, and you see that they actually believe what they are talking about. So you just kind of go along with it because of your friendship. You don't want to burn the bridge. You want to continue being their friend. Or maybe you're not confident enough in your knowledge of the Scripture to point them in the right direction. So what do you do? You just kind of let it slide. You continue letting them think this way. The more we shrug this off, the bigger the lie grows. The more people believe that all roads lead to God, that all religions are basically the same. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere because it's all going to work out in the end. And if you're here this morning and you sincerely believe that, I need to lovingly tell you, you are sincerely wrong. And I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just trying to tell you the truth about God. God never said that. Here's what he did say. In fact, this came from his own son, Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6. This is our key passage for the day. We're going to spend some time on this, but it's going to be up on the screen, so I want you all to read it with me. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many people get to go to heaven, get to be with God and Jesus if they try to bypass Jesus? None. No one. Jesus said himself, no one. Jesus said, if you want to get to heaven, the place where my Father is, a place of eternal peace and rest and joy, then you must come through me and me only. Now that's very contradictory to what we hear in our culture and in our world. When you stop and think about it, our society has no problem whatsoever with spirituality. They're not opposed to talking about God or a quote-unquote higher power. At the end of every big game or award show, and I've seen a couple football games this week, and they interview players, what do they say? 
Oh man, I thank the, the big man upstairs. I thank God for the talent. I thank God for blessing me with the ability to play. I thank God that we were able to win. News shows and TV hosts talk about spirituality and a higher power with no controversy at all. When does the controversy start? It, it begins when the name Jesus gets mentioned. When somebody says Jesus, everybody gets all bent up out of shape. You can talk about God, a higher power, heaven, spirituality, but the moment you talk about Jesus, that's when the conversation goes sideways. Here's what's ironic. Nobody debates the existence of Jesus. There is not a single person I have ever spoken to that would deny he actually lived. There are records outside of the Bible that prove he was a real person. He actually lived. And most people actually agree with a lot that he taught. They like the fact that he helped the poor, the less fortunate, that he was generous and kind and compassionate. Most people agree that Jesus was a good man, that he was a good teacher, and some would go so far to even say that he was a good prophet. Where they jump ship is this verse, John 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the only way to get to God, that becomes offensive. But when you look at Jesus' life and message, when you actually read the Bible, the truth is very clear. Saying yes to Jesus requires saying no to every other religion. Saying yes to Jesus requires saying no to every other religion. And this is what so many people are not willing to do. I've talked to many Christians who ride the fence on this issue. They personally believe John 14, 6. They believe that Jesus is the only way for them themselves to get to heaven. But they have a family member, they have a friend, they have a coworker who doesn't necessarily agree. Now, they'll come to church with them pretty often. They try to live a good life. They try to do good deeds, but they don't agree that Jesus is the only way. They leave that door open for what everybody else wants to believe. Whatever they believe is good for them. Maybe you have a loved one in this same spot. If so, hear me out. When you say yes to Jesus, it means saying no to every other religion. What sets Jesus apart from all other leaders is this exclusive claim that he is the only way to get to God. That's what Christians believe. And just for a moment, I want us to spend some time and touch on a few other world religions, world religions before I ask you to consider Jesus. Why are we going to do that? Well, it's important for us to really step back and understand what some other people believe because... We need to be able to have the knowledge to speak the truth to them. I want us to know what set us apart and what may be similar in our beliefs. So I'm going to give you a quick kind of history lesson of some major world religions. You can jot this down or take some notes in your outline. First of all, Hinduism. Hinduism believes in many gods, but the main one that is worshipped is the god called Brahman. He is the universal impersonal spirit. Everyone is part of the spirit like drops of water in the sea. And the ultimate goal for Hinduism is to be joined again with Brahman. This doesn't take place until you are reincarnated many times over, coming back as either an animal or a person depending on how you lived in your previous life, which is where we get this whole concept of karma. Karma is something that is talked about a lot, even by Christians. I think of that commercial, creditkarma.com. Like, it's seeped its way in everything. We hear karma, but it's actually a Hinduistic belief. 
Salvation is found when you break the cycle of rebirths by becoming one with the universal spirit. Hindus believe that Jesus was a holy man, but not the Savior. Buddhism is another branch off of Hinduism, and its founder was Siddhartha Gautama, who later became known as the Buddha. If you've been to some Chinese restaurants, you'll see this gold, fat, chubby, bald guy that's sitting on the counter, right? That's Buddha. That's the Buddha right there, all right? He became enlightened and created his own religion that millions of people follow today. Buddhists reject the idea of a personal God. Rather, they see God and the universe as one. Self-salvation is achieved Underline that, self-salvation is achieved by following the eightfold path. The ultimate goal that they try to reach is the state of nirvana, and it's defined as this. It is when the self becomes extinguished in the cosmic consciousness. Okay, think about this. Nirvana is their ultimate goal, and it is when the self becomes extinguished in the cosmic consciousness. Does that make sense to anybody? No, it doesn't make sense to me either, so I'm not even going to try to explain it, but that's what they try to achieve. Buddhists believe that Jesus was a holy man, but he was not the Savior. Islam is another popular world religion, one of the largest. People who follow this are called Muslims, and they worship Allah. There are no secondary gods, and there is a total ban on idols, unlike in Buddhism and Hinduism. Your relationship with Allah is dependent on your religious devotion uh, and your works. And their holy book is called, do you guys know? The Quran or the Quran. That's exactly right. They believe Jesus was a prophet, all right, kind of a step above a holy man. They believe he was a prophet, but he was not the Son of God. The New Age movement is another one that's very popular. This is what I think we uh, probably see more than anything else. And it's actually not an organized religion. Rather, it is a collection of commonly held beliefs of individuals and organizations that are committed to one goal, the goal of enlightenment. New Age beliefs have no personal God. Their common set of beliefs are based on monism, which is all is one, pantheism, which is all is God, and mysticism which is uh, basically this belief that the universe and divine nature and us are oneness. We experience oneness with divine nature. They believe that God revealed himself in Jesus. They'll admit that. But they also say that God revealed himself in Buddha and Confucius and every other world religion. If you were to take all the religions and kind of dump them into this big bowl, stir it up, and pull out whatever you wanted to, that's what the New Age movement is. It's a whatever you want to believe theology. It's anything goes. Judaism is the religion that is most similar to Christianity. However, there are four branches of Judaism, each with their own separate beliefs. None of them believe in karma or reincarnation, but they all believe in a future physical resurrection just like we do. Most believe, uh, most live by rules and regulations found in the Old Testament. That's where they spend the majority of their time. They all acknowledge Jesus as a real person, as a holy man, but there's only one of the four that actually recognize Jesus as the Savior and Messiah, and that would be the Messianic Jews. So what about our faith? What about Christianity? What do we believe? Well, we believe that Christianity has a personal God. This God created everything and everyone. He expressed his unconditional love to us through offering up his one and only son, which is Jesus, sacrificing his life on the cross for our sins. We believe that through Jesus, Christians are offered forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and eternal life. This offer is not based on religious efforts, 
or work, but rather it is based on God's love and his goodness and his grace. So here's what I want you to do. Now that you got a little history lesson, you guys learn anything? Yes, maybe? Okay, here's the point. Different religions may have elements of the truth, but they are not the same. Different world religions may have elements of the truth. They all may speak of in their holy books or talk about being kind to one another, which is good. Loving mankind, which is good, or respecting people. That's all well and good. They may have elements of truth, but they are not the same. So when someone says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere, please understand that God did not say that. In fact, God's son said the opposite. Jesus said, you get to God and to heaven through me and me only. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to do something for me. And I know that a lot of us here are Christians. We've been coming to church for a while, but I know there are also some that haven't made that profession of faith. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I want you just for a moment to consider Jesus. I'm not asking you to consider this church or our Christian denomination. I'm not asking you to consider other Christians, the person that invited you. Don't consider me, okay, because Christians have a tendency to be judgmental, to be rude, to be mean, to be hypocritical, to be prideful, me included. Do not consider us. I want you to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus and then decide what you think about this life and the life to come. So let's briefly look at three aspects of Jesus right now. First of all, I want you to consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider his ministry. Mark 2, 16 and 17 summarizes why Jesus came. Here's what it says. When the teachers of the law who were the Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He came for people like you and me who just cannot seem to get it right. Amen? We can't seem to get it right. We mess it up all the time. That's why he came. To those whom others despised, Jesus loved and accepted. To those that religion rejected, Jesus intentionally built a relationship with them. He spent time with the lowlifes and with the outcast. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, they show us that part of Jesus' ministry was physical healing. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had what? He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That is a crucial, crucial character, uh, characteristic trait of Jesus. He had compassion for people, for God's creation. Jesus opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He caused the mute to speak. He cast out demons. He cleansed the lepers. He even raised the dead back to life. And here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. His critics did not question the validity of his miracles. They did not question the validity of his miracles because they saw it firsthand. They saw that somebody who had never walked before stood up and walked after Jesus touched them. They were mad. They were angry. Sometimes they were speechless, but they couldn't deny what he did. Instead, they demanded that he stop. 
They said, stop teaching, stop preaching, stop healing people. Why? Because it was completely turning their world upside down, and they lost control of what they thought they were in charge of. They didn't know what to do with Jesus. Jesus not only healed people physically, he healed and he continues to heal people spiritually. 1 John 3, I love this passage, 4 and 8. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Read that last sentence with me out loud. The reason the Son of God appeared was to... Man, I love that. How clear and simple and precise. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. And I don't know about you, but I see the devil working all around. You can't turn on the news. I was having a conversation with someone earlier before first service, and we were just talking about different world events and tragedies and all kinds of earthquakes and things. I think that's the devil's work. I think that's what he's doing. But you know what? It's not just in third world countries. It is right here. The devil, I see him all the, try, all the time trying to get into my family, trying to get into this church, trying to get into me. But I want you to know that Jesus is stronger than the devil. I have read the end of the book, and I know, as we sang just a few minutes ago, I can see a victory because I know what Revelation says. Satan wants us to sit in sadness. He wants us to dwell in defeat and depression. He wants us to focus on our fears. But Jesus wants us to rejoice in redemption. He wants us to be healed in hope. He wants us to be freed through our faith. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work, so consider the ministry of Jesus. Secondly, Secondly, I want us to consider the resurrection of Jesus. Consider his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Every other person who founded or began a religion, you know what? They died and they stayed dead, but not Jesus. He's the only one that walked out of the grave. Get this, hundreds and hundreds of people saw Jesus falsely accused and put on trial they saw him whipped and beaten and flogged to within an inch of his life. They watched him as, they, as he carried his cross through the street. They saw spikes get driven into his hands and his feet. They watched Jesus agonize on the cross in extreme pain for six hours. And everyone in attendance watched Jesus take his last breath, get speared in the side by a Roman soldier, and then get removed from the cross. And even after all of that, we as Christians believe that death couldn't hold him down. We believe that he walked out of the grave. Peter says it this way in Acts chapter 3. He says, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but, but... God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Don't miss that last sentence. We are witnesses of this. This is so important because they were eyewitnesses to what had happened to Jesus, that he was dead and he's alive again. And they weren't the only ones. Paul goes on to describe more in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, for hundreds, thousands of years, skeptics have done everything they can to disprove Christianity, to discredit it, and they have spread multiple alternatives as to what really happened with Jesus' body. There's about seven that are commonly known. I'm not going to take the time to go through those, but I just want to tell you two of them. Two of them. First of all uh, is this belief, this, this theory that the Roman soldiers stole the body of Jesus. Now that makes no sense because everyone who hated Jesus, all the religious leaders, they would have wanted to see his physical dead body so they could have said, look, ha, he is not alive. He has not risen. This was a false Messiah. They would have wanted that. And there was no reason for the Romans to keep that a secret or to hide his body. So I believe that one is disproved on its own. And then a second one, it's called the swoon theory. And this is the most outlandish one. The people who practice or believe the swoon theory believe that Jesus just passed out on the cross. Okay, even after everything I've already explained that happened to him, they believe he didn't really die. He just got to the point of exhaustion and he passed out. And then his disciples pulled him off the cross and revived him back to life later. Now, do you really expect any rational person to believe that 11 uneducated, ordinary men who were fishermen and tax people, do you expect them to come up with the most elaborate scheme in the history of the world, pull it off, and keep it a secret? Anybody? No, I don't believe that either, right? There is, there's one answer to this question. It's very simple. Jesus died, and he came back to life. Jesus died, and he came back to life. That is what separates him from everybody else. A great testimony to this is the disciple who doubted. What was his name? Thomas, Doubting Thomas, yes. Thomas said that he would not believe Jesus until he saw the holes in his hand and until he put his hand into his side where he was split open with that spear. So lo and behold, what happens after Jesus is dead and he's been in the grave? The disciples are hiding for fear for their lives. They are afraid. They don't know what to do. They are locked away in the upper room, afraid. They're like, still, they don't want to go outside in public. And what happens? Jesus walks through the wall, or he shows up, the door is locked, he walks through the wall, and he walks right up to Thomas and says, hey, Thomas, I'm for real. Put your hand right here. Touch my side. See that I am alive. And that changed his perspective. Thomas went on to become a missionary to India who was eventually martyred for his faith. And why in the world would Thomas choose death over life? The only explanation is that he had seen the risen Savior. Eyewitnesses were willing to die because they saw Jesus raised from the dead. Almost all of the apostles died a martyr's death. Very brutal, very nasty, nasty deaths. Ten of the twelve did. One, obviously, Judas Iscariot, he didn't. He hung himself in shame. And then we know that John, who wrote uh, a lot of the books, he died in old age on the island of Patmos. But the other ten died very brutal deaths. When all they had to say was, I recant Jesus. Jesus wasn't real. They weren't willing to do that because they had seen him resurrected. 
And for 2,000 years, Christians all over the world have been persecuted, arrested, and killed for their faith because they believe the eyewitness testimony that is recorded in the Bible. And you know something? I believe this too. I believe it too. The question is, do you? Do you? Let me word it another way. If your life were put under a microscope, and people had the opportunity to examine your life, what proof would they have that you believe in the resurrected Savior? What evidence would they find that you believe he was who he says he was? What sacrifices have you made? What example have you set for him? Who have you shared your faith with recently? Who have you invited to church? Whose name have you written on that ping pong ball that we talked about earlier and you placed it in the fish tank? This is a goal that I talked about that I want us all to do. We can fulfill it to fill that thing by Easter. I can't do it alone. I need everybody's help. And I know some of you are already doing that. Well, why do we do this? Why do we write somebody's name on a ping pong ball and pray for them? Why do we share our faith? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we do this? It's because we love God, and we want to obey what he has asked us to do. And it is because we believe what is written in the scripture about Jesus. Finally, I ask that you consider the message. We've talked about the ministry. We've talked about the resurrection. Lastly, I want you to consider the message of Jesus. Listen to what Paul says, Romans chapter 3. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. The message of Jesus is this. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. That's the message. Righteousness is right standing or it's good standing with God. And this is what Paul's talking about. It does not mean human perfection. God declares that you are righteous because of your faith in Jesus, not by what you do or don't do. It's not by your works. This is true for everyone no matter who you are, no matter how much money or how little money you have, no matter what you've done. No matter how dark your past was, no matter how many sins you've committed, no matter how messed up your life is right now, no matter how angry or bitter you are in your heart, anyone, anyone, anyone who places their faith in Jesus will be made new and redeemed and justified. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I heard someone say a long time ago that Christianity is a simple equation. Christianity is Christ plus nothing. Say that with me. Christianity is Christ plus nothing. And it makes total sense. It is not Christ plus good works. It is not Christ plus church attendance. It is not Christ plus giving up of your money. It is not Christ plus getting rid of your bad habits. It is Christ plus nothing. In Christ alone, we have the hope of eternal life. 
In Christ alone, we are forgiven of our sins. In Christ alone, we have freedom from our bondage. In Christ alone, all of our chains are broken. In Christ alone, we are made new. In Christ alone, we are washed clean. In Christ alone, we are born again. In Christ alone, we are justified, purified, and sanctified. That's the message that Jesus left heaven for. That's why he came to die. That's what he wants you to know, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and his name is Jesus. That's it. That's the message. That's the message. You see, Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to restore a relationship. A relationship that was broken because of our sin. There's nothing you can do to fix what you broke. There's nothing that you can do to right your wrongs. It is only through Jesus, only in him. So if you're here this morning and maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to ask you, consider Jesus right now. Because he's very different from any other person you would have studied in school. Jesus is the only one who died and came back to life. He's the only one who loves you unconditionally, regardless of what you do or do not do. So we're going to stand right now, and we're going to sing a song called The King of Kings. I love this song because it tells the story of the Bible. It starts from the beginning and goes to the end in about five minutes. And if you're familiar with it, sing it along with us. But if you have a decision to make, just come during the song. Let's talk. Let's pray to